Y'all good? Awesome. Hey, man, great to be with y'all this morning. It's an important Sunday in the life of our church. I'm so excited to be here with you on this Commitment Sunday. It feels like so much has been leading up to this point. And just want to, to remind us as we get ready to make our offering to the Lord, there's only one who's the priority, and that's Jesus. And so while we make our offering to him today, I want to encourage us and just encourage you this morning that at the end of the day, what matters more than anything else is the fact that Jesus is still on his throne, and we celebrated that with baptism, and we celebrated with all the people who said, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus. No matter what comes my way, I'm in with him. I'm all in with him. And so that's my hope for you, is that you are all in with him, and that as an overflow of that, we would respond appropriately to that truth this morning. Now, if you're a guest with us, I want to say thank you for being here. Today might feel incredibly weird for you. So, so hear me when I say thank you for being here. And while it may feel weird for you, this is a long journey that our church has been on, uh, trying to determine where the Lord's leading us and what he wants to do. And so today we are, we're going to respond to what we believe that God's calling us to do, and that's to, to build a new facility on the, the property of 121 and MLK Jr. And so that's, that's where we believe that the Lord is, heading, is leading us. And so we're going to respond to that, but also, too, we're going to respond to uh, the ask that we have made to, to fund the next two years of our ministry plan. So, so that's what we're talking about this morning. That's what we are responding to. Now, I want you to know, um, on Wednesday night, our college students got together for their normal worship gathering. We call that the well. And I want you to know that out of the people who showed up, they had a commitment service uh, for some of them. Because many of them don't come here. We're trying to get them here, but some of them don't. So we wanted to give them an opportunity to be a part too. And out of the group that showed up on Wednesday night... We had 80% of those people commit to being a part of this. You know, that's awesome, right? They're here for a season, a four-year season of time, maybe five, depending on, maybe, maybe six, I don't know, we'll see, right? Uh, but they're here for a season, and for them to commit, man, that's incredible. I want you to know that out of the 80%, what they committed to give to our church and to this the, this, the next two years is $59,000 from college students. That's incredible, man, to see these, these young people, the next leaders, the next generation of leaders step up and say, Lord, I want to I serve you, I want to follow you, I want to be generous, and they're responding to what the Lord's doing in their heart. Thanks to Stanton and his team for, for leading so well, man, I'm grateful. Now, I want you to keep in mind that today, as we respond, we have an opportunity to respond as, as the church. Our goal is 100% participation, right? Um, we want everybody to take their part in what God is calling our church to do. It can't just be a small percentage. It's got to be all of us. In fact, that is our starting point, is that to today is our starting point that's going to lead us on into the next two years as we continue to encourage the people who join and come, hey, we want you to be a part. We want you to be a part of what God is doing in our church. But more than anything, we want to see God do something great in your heart as he moves you to trust him more, right? As he stretches you in your faith and in your uh, uh, belief and trust in him and his faithfulness. So again, super exciting morning. Now, so far, we've talked about a couple of things. We've talked about the fact that this cannot be just a good idea, right? Um, this, this can't be something that we like. Well, this sounds great. Man, I'd love to have a new building. Oh, wow, how great is that? It can't be a good idea. It has to be something that we're surrendered to, 
right? We've talked about that at length. And for us to be surrendered to it means that we are going to have to trust that the Lord is going to provide when we offer our sacrifices to him, right? That's, that means that we're going to have to put ourselves in a place where we have to trust him because if he doesn't show up, then, then we'll fall on our backs as we talked about several weeks ago, right? It requires trust. It also requires that we are not a church with generous people, but that we are a generous church. There's a difference, right? It, it, you know, to, to have a, a church where there's people in the church who are generous, man, that's great. But think about the impact we can have if we are a generous church, meaning all of us were taking a part and we were all sacrificing not only our resources, but also our time and also our gifts. Remember, the Lord blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others, right? And so we want to be a generous church. And then last week we talked about the importance of sacrifice. The fact that God wants us to grow in our generosity. He wants us to grow in our sacrifice. Because when we do, he stretches our faith. He stretches our trust in him. We talked about the fact that worship is the response of one who has experienced the mercy of God. And if you've experienced the mercy of God and all that God has done in Christ for you and is doing in you... How then can you not respond to him with all that we have and all that we are? To live open-handed and say, God, all that I have, all that I am is yours. Now this morning, we're going to kind of switch gears and we're going to talk about commitment. I'm sure that's a shocker for you, um, being that it's Commitment Sunday. But we're going to talk about the importance and the value of committing. Now I've said this a handful of times already this morning, but I want you to hear me. I believe that God wants to stretch and grow us as a church. I believe that God wants to stretch and grow you as his child in the faith. I believe that he wants to stretch and he, he's going to grow us. And I think that he is using this season in our church to push us to a place where we're stretched and where we grow and we find him to be faithful as we commit to him. Now, here's what I would ask of you. No matter how rational or irrational the calling of God is on your life. So maybe you've been in prayer and maybe you've been asking the Lord, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? What are you asking me to give? No matter how rational or irrational that may seem, here's what I want you to do. I want you to commit to him and to trust that he is going to provide. Okay, I just want you to commit to him, and I want you to trust that the Lord is going to show up for you, because I'm going to share a story with you from the Bible, from Genesis 22, how God shows up in our sacrifice. Okay, Genesis 22, if you have your workbook, we'll be in page 33 as well. So Genesis 22 in your Bible, meet me there. If you have your workbook, page 33, you might want to take some notes this morning, that would be a helpful resource for you to do, to do so. Okay, Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. This is what God has to say to us this morning. Verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham. And here's what he said to him. He said, Abraham, Abraham said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And there I want you to offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. You know, to understand the gravity of these two verses, you really need to know a bit about Abraham's story. 
You know, Abraham's story starts in Genesis chapter 12 when God shows up on his doorstep and he makes an irrational ask of Abraham. He makes an irrational ask of Abraham. He comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to, I want you to leave your hometown. I want you to leave your career. I want you to leave your extended family. I want, to leave, I want you to leave everything that you've ever known. And I want you to go to the place that I will show you. Notice that God doesn't come to Abraham and say, hey, this is the place that I want you to go. He didn't even give him those details. He just says, hey, I want you to get up. I want you to pack a bag. I want you to go to a place where I'm going to show you. And I want you to trust me on the journey that I'm going to get you to the right destination. It's an irrational ask that God calls Abraham to leave his entire livelihood, all to follow him to an unknown destination. Now, as a part of this calling, God makes Abraham a promise. In fact, he promises him land, he promises him offspring, and he promises him favor or blessing. But in the midst of these promises that God makes, it's not going to come easy, right? It's going to come with doubt, it's going to come with discouragement, moments of hardship, disobedience, frustration, and even confusion. In fact, for most of their life together, Abraham and Sarah are anxiously awaiting the promise of God to show up with an offspring. And yet, after a hundred years of life, they have still no offspring. They have no son to carry on their name. They have no blessing from the Lord. They have yet to receive the offspring. And that at a hundred years old, they find out that Sarah is pregnant with a child. The moment they had given up, guess what? God shows up. In the moment of their doubt, in the moment of their discouragement, when they've, well, I guess God's not going to show up here. Guess what? God does. He shows up and he provides for them. Now, as we turn to the story this morning, God comes to Abraham once again and he makes, guess what? An irrational ask. An irrational ask. Abraham, God said, I want you to take Isaac, your son, the very son in whom you love, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him. Hope you see some parallel there. Keep in mind what God's asking of Abraham. He's asking him to take the very promise given to him by God, and he's asking him to take that promise and to lay him on the altar and literally put an end to God's promise to him. So not only is he asking him to sacrifice his one and only son, he's also asking him to sacrifice the very promise that God had given to him. Wow, (laughs) what an irrational ask. Well, you know, I can imagine, you know, I think about this story often. I I think, how in the world does this make any sense? Why would God give Abraham a problem? Why would he make him wait all those years only to ask him to sacrifice the very promise that God made to him? Why in the world would, why why would God do it? It doesn't make any sense. Well, to the natural eye, it doesn't make any sense. But to the eye born of the Spirit, for the person who is born of the Spirit actually makes all the sense in the world. See, God is testing Abraham. He's testing him. He's testing his worship. He's testing his affections and his priorities. See, what God wants for Abraham is that he wants to make sure that he didn't get the cart before the horse, right? He he wants to make sure that, that Abraham loves him and wants him more than he loves and wants the things that God can offer him. He's aligning his priorities. He's aligning his worship. Remember, we talked about this at length in our our last series, that God doesn't want to be a bullet point on the sheet of your priorities, but rather he wants to be the whole sheet. 
right? He wants you, he wants me, he wants us as a church this morning to love him far more than we love the things that he can offer us. And yet over and over, man, we can get these backwards, can't we? We get these backwards all the time. In fact, we can take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing all too easy. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said that the human heart is an idol factory, right? We tear one idol down and we erect another one. We build another one. We tear that one down and we build another one, right? We are a human idol factory. The human heart is an idol factory, right? And so we make good things ultimate things. We take our kids and we make them ultimate things. We take our futures, our career, our spouses, celebrities, friends, money, things that money can buy, you name it. We take good things, we make them ultimate things, and then we're devastated when we lose them. Why is that? Because we have taken a good thing and made it an ultimate thing. We've taken it a good thing and we have made it an idol in our hearts. And whether we realize it or not, we bow down to the idols of our hearts. What God wants for Abraham is to reorder, to reorient his priorities, his affections. He wants to make sure that he is the only one sitting on the throne of his heart. And that he removes the idols that Abraham and that you and I oftentimes can replace God with. Well, you know, this morning as I'm thinking about what God has called us to do, I think about, man, you know, this is an opportunity. What an opportunity we have this morning and over the next two years to take a step toward God, to take a step away from the idols of our hearts and to take a step toward the God who loves our soul, right? To, to take away from, or take a step away from the things of the world and the investment that the world is just begging us to invest in and take a step towards God who will never fail us, who Romans 8 promises will never leave us nor forsake us, who's given his one and only son for you and for me, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus Right, to take a step away from the idols and take a step away from, or way to him. Take a step to him. So how does Abraham respond to this call, right? Abraham has the same opportunity. Is he going to take a step toward his idol? Is he going to take a step toward God? I think you probably know how the story goes, but in verse 3, he captures his obedience. Abraham packs a bag, loads a donkey, and he and Isaac head out onto the land of Moriah, to the place where God is going to show them. He says in verse 3, or the word says in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. I mentioned this a minute ago, but over the years, you know, I've heard this story my whole life, and I just think about, golly, what was going through Abraham's mind? Can you imagine this? Waiting all that time. Finally, the promise has arrived, and now God has asked him to sacrifice him. And then here they are on this journey where Abraham knows what Isaac doesn't. That in just a few moments, he is going to lay his one and only son upon an altar of which he is going to kill him and make a sacrifice to the Lord. Can you imagine the conversation? I mean, what do you say? You talk about the weather? You talk about the cowboys? What do you not say in that moment as they journey towards the most difficult decision that Abraham has ever had and ever will have? And yet, here they arrive, 
at the base of the mountain in verse 5 tells us what happens. Verse 5, Abraham tells the two men that were with him, he says, hey, I want y'all to stay here. I want y'all to stay with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and we will worship again and we will come to you. Notice that before Abraham and Isaac ever left, the two guys over to go sacrifice the Lord, notice what, notice what Abraham says. He says, I and the boy, we, me and Isaac, we're going to go over here and sacrifice and we're going to return back to you. While Abraham knew that God had called him to sacrifice his one and only son, he also journeyed with God long enough to know that God is faithful even in an irrational ask. That God is faithful to show up. That God is faithful to provide for what he is calling him to do. He had spent an entire lifetime of following God, seeing him come through, even when Abraham failed to obey, failed to make the right decision, God was faithful to provide. He had lived his whole life watching God show up time and time and time and time and time again. And so Abraham goes to the altar knowing that in the moment of this sacrifice, God's going to show up and provide another way. And so they did. They left the two men with the donkey. They journeyed to the mountain where God had led them. And as they approach the base of the mountain, Isaac calls out to his dad. He says, hey, dad, it looks like we got everything we need, but it seems like we're missing something. You're, you're missing something. Verse 8, Abraham calls back or says back to him, he says, listen, Isaac, God is going to provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. You need not worry. So Abraham calls his son to trust him as he is trusting in the Lord. And the only response that Isaac gives that we know of is he trusts the Lord. He, or he, trusts, he trusts his dad, right? Seems like dad has everything under control. I'm going to trust you, dad. But what happens when, when all of a sudden it's out of dad's control? What happens when, it's not, when dad doesn't have it all under control? There at the mountain, Abraham and Isaac build an altar to the Lord, and when they're done, we see Abraham's unwavering commitment to the Lord. It's demonstrated. He quietly picks up his son, lays him up on the altar, begins to tie him up. I can't even imagine the emotions of what all Abraham is going through. I can't imagine the emotions that Isaac is going through. I mean, can you imagine that? Looking up at your dad, I'm sure he's crying. As he places his son up on the altar, begins to bound him up. The text says, Abraham took a dagger in hand and he raised it high above his son's body in order to kill him, to pierce him, to sacrifice him, to do exactly what the Lord has called him to do. And it's in that moment that two things happen. Number one, we see that God tests Abraham's faith. We see he tests Abraham's trust. We see he, he, he tests Abraham's commitment. It's almost as though the Lord is playing chicken with Abraham. You ever play chicken? Right? It's a game that kids play, right? You get on your bike, I'll get on my bike. We're going to ride as fast as we can towards one another. And right at the end, whoever turns first so that we don't collide is the chicken. It's as though God is testing Abraham's commitment to him. And yet at the same time, Abraham is testing God's faithfulness to provide. He raises up that dagger ready to pierce his son. 
as a testimony to the faithfulness that he has in God, the trust he has in God's faithfulness. And yet at the same time, we see uh, the faith of Isaac. You know, while I'm sure he's confounded by dad tying him up on an altar and the knife hanging above his body, he had to have enough trust in his dad to allow him to go through with it. Son looking up at father, son watching his father's unwavering trust in the Lord to provide, and while at the same time entering into his own moment of trust. He's trusting his dad's trust in the Lord to show up and to provide. Talk about family discipleship. Isaac is placed in a unique situation where he has to trust that his dad knows what he's doing and that the God that his dad follows is going to show up and provide. So what does God do? We know the story. He shows up and he provides. In verse 11, the text says that, that the angel of the Lord, in that moment where Abraham has the knife above his son, in that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and he said, Abraham, Abraham, just do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. And hear this. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This is God testing his priorities, testing his affections. Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Look, here's, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that the Lord shows up. The Lord shows up. In our moment of doubt, God shows up. In our moment of fear, God shows up. In our moment of weakness, God shows up. In our moment of uncertainty, God shows up. In our moment of crossroads where we don't know which way to go, God shows up. In a moment like this, where we are all asking the Lord, God, what do you want me to do? God shows up. I was talking, I was talking to a friend this morning. He was telling me a story of how God has radically blessed them and things that they didn't expect to, to, to happen have happened so that now they can give in a way that they never thought they were going to be able to give. God shows up. I can tell you our story. God has shown up in Jordan and I's life in a huge way in the last month and a half. We're able to give far more than we ever thought we'd be able to give because guess what? God shows up. When we give them our heart and we give them our yes and we put it on the table, God shows up. When we're willing to, to, to go before him and we're willing to lay our idols on the altar of his grace, God shows up. God shows up and he begins to reorient our priorities, reorient our worship, calls us to take a step closer to him and a step away from our idols. God shows up. He shows up when he calls us to do something that seems irrational to our human brains. God may be calling you right now to do something irrational and you're like, there's no way that the Lord's calling me to do this. Believe me, I have thought that so many times over the last couple of months. Jordan, not so much. She's just like, yes, Lord, you can have it all, right? Thank God for that. 
right? God may be asking you to do something that you feel like, golly, this is irrational, but I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, God will show up in what seems to be irrational. (laughs) In fact, I think this story teaches us how God makes an irrational ask a reasonable commitment. This story of Abraham and Isaac, it teaches us that God is going to call us to irrational things, and yet, with God, it's a reasonable ask. Why? Because all things are impossible with God, or all things are possible with God. Things that we think there's no way, God says, oh, there's a way. When we think, oh, there's no way that we can cross the sea, (laughs) well, there's a way. Right? When we think that somebody can't be raised from the dead, oh, there's a way. Right? This book is littered with stories of God making a way when it seemed like there was no way for the human brain. And yet again, I'm telling you, this story reminds us that God takes an irrational ask and makes a reasonable commitment. When you know God and you know his character as Abraham did, we can walk into what might seem like an irrational call knowing that God is going to show up because nothing is unreasonable with him who holds all things together. May I remind you of our Colossians series where, where, where Paul tells us that all things are held in God's hands in the person of Jesus. He is the sustainer, the creator of all things. He creates and sustains everything, all of it. What God wants to do, he will do in and through his people. All we have to do is show up, knowing that when we do, God's going to show up in return. He's going to show up and provide. This morning, I want you to hear that it is God's goodness to test us and to stretch us. For when he does, we grow in him. This is an opportunity of growth. I've said this many different times. It's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. When God calls us to sacrifice the things we love, it's purposeful. He's helping us to hold on tighter to him and to let go of the things in this world. He's helping us to see that no matter the ask, he is going to show up and provide. All we have to do is show up, trust him, and make a commitment. And say, God, I don't know how we're going to do it. But man, we're going to trust you. We're going to trust you. As we continue to worship this morning, I want us to take a few minutes, and I want you to hear the story not only of Abraham and Isaac, but I want you to hear the story of some dear friends of mine and how they're excited about what God's going to do in them and for the future of our church. So if you would, take a few minutes and and draw your attention to the screen. My name is Leroy Kemp, and I first came to this church in 1953. My name is Jean Kemp. I also came in 1953 as a 17-year-old freshman student at University of Mary Arden Baylor. First Baptist has been a big part of our life, most of our life. We came here as a very young family, and this church was full of mature Christian lay leaders and fantastic prayer warriors, and they took us in from the very beginning. The greatest thing about any church is its people. And this church, through the years, has had great people. Our message and our mission is always the same. But methods of accomplishing that mission change. And we have to be ready to change in dramatic ways when the time comes. I remember when this idea first emerged. Our former pastor, Andy Davis, took me out to the hilltop 
and shared with me something of the dream. I was excited about it because I think it is a good thing for the church. It is a good thing for the University of Mary Harden Baylor. It is a good thing for Belton. And it is a good thing for me. I've been here 70 years, you might say, as part of this church. But I want to be a part of the future of the church. When I think back of all the people that I have served and been served by in this church, my heart just swells. And all of those people who've had a part in this church and have a part in the future of this church because their influence goes on. And I want mine and ours to go on to a glorious future in the history of the First Baptist Church of Belton. My name is Leroy Kemp, and I'm all in. My name is Jean Kemp, and I am all in. God has an exciting future for us as we take time this morning to respond to his mercy, what he has done in your life, what, what he continues to do in your life, and what he's going to continue to do in and through you as we continue to, to, to do ministry for the next 170 years, however long the Lord allows us to continue to do ministry. And so what I want you to do this morning is I just want you to ask him, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And then respond accordingly to that knowing, trusting that God is going to show up. He's never not going to show up. I promise you, he will never leave you stranded. He'll never leave you hanging. He's always going to show up for you, and he's always going to provide when you put your yes on the table. And so that's what I want us to do over the next couple of minutes is I want us to go to the Lord and just say, Lord, what would you have us to do? And then after that, we're going to respond accordingly. And so we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Would you join me? Father, we come to you today acknowledging that you are holy, that you are righteous, and that you are altogether different. And yet you came to this earth through the person of Jesus. 
you displayed the mercy and grace upon us that we did not deserve. You sent your son, Jesus, to the cross to give his life for us that we may find pardon and forgiveness for our sin. God, you were buried and three days later, you rose from the grave so that all who would put their faith and trust in him would walk out of an empty tomb to never look back on our sin and shame and guilt, but to be defined by your son's God, you remind us of Romans 8.1 that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You tell us at the end of Romans 8 that there's now nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you've called us to be a part of a bigger plan, that you've grafted us into your eternal family, that you've offered us a seat at your table, that each day your mercies are new every morning, that we get a new start, that we're no longer defined by our past, we're no longer defined by our future, but we're defined by the perfect work of your son, Jesus. God, thank you for that gift this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to respond to you by what you have done for us and continue to do in us, Lord. Thank you for the last 170 years of faithfulness to our church. God, we ask for another 170 years, Lord, as we submit our lives to you, as we trust you, as we follow you, Lord, as we set a new trajectory. God, this is a moment in our church's history, Father, that we ask that you would come and that you would show up like you have for, again, the last 170 years. God, would you call us to something bigger than ourselves? Would you call us to stretch, to trust you, to offer all that we have and all that we are to you, Lord? Father, we trust you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.